This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Last Sunday we began uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, and I did not finish my sermon on wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord and husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, Not an easy topic to speak about, to preach about, um, but a lot of scripture is not easy to speak about and preach about. Um, But it's what God had for us, had for us last week and to finish uh, this week. Last Sunday I had been out of the pulpit for two weeks. I I was uh, serving the Lord um, at Disney World for two, and I was out for two weeks, um, and I kind of made up for it last week, and I promise I'm not doing that. Today we have a starting point uh, after church uh, where we're going to talk to those newer in the church, explain some things about our ministry. Everyone, anyone is invited to attend that. Um, I I know the clock today, and I promise you that I'm going to go over what went over last week, and I'm going to finish the sermon this week. That is what we're going to do. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. God, as, as we preach through this book, next verse, next passage, God, continue to build upon the truths that we've learned in the past, continue to apply them uh, to our hearts and our lives for today, continue to transform and change us into who you would have us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, I said this, and it bears repeating that when the Bible speaks about marriage, the Bible speaks about what we call biblical marriage. And we will not ever apologize for that. I'm just starting off the sermon today with that. It says this, that wives should submit to husbands and that husbands should love their wives. That doesn't mean that we stand in hatred. That doesn't mean that we stand in judgment. That doesn't mean that we stand in any sort of spite, but we stand biblically this morning. And so when we speak of marriage, we're speaking about a man leaving his father and his mother and taking to himself a wife. And men, 
when that day happened to you, those of you that are married, it was a good day. It was a very good day. In fact, Adam lived in this earth just a short amount of time before God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And all of the married men in the house can say, amen. All the dating men in the house, amen. All right, cool. You guys were a little quieter. Uh Uh-oh. Conversations over, over lunch today. But it's not good for man to be alone. With that said, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament wrote over half the New Testament and many, many books, many letters to the churches, and Paul was not married. And so I'm not a, an advocate of everybody, for sure, God is calling you to be married. Uh, there, is, there is such blessing in singleness. There's such opportunity in singleness. There's such freedom uh, in singleness to serve the church. Come on, there we go. Uh, we got it by there. Uh-oh, I don't want Renee up. Here we go. But there, there's opportunity in singleness. And so this is not a marriage versus singleness. I can just speak for me. I'd be a mess. I've been married. It's going to be, it's going to be my wife corrected me last week. We, we haven't been married 13 years. It's going to be 13 years this coming June. Uh, it'll be 13 years. And man, let me tell you something. 13 years of me by myself. Lord help. Help anybody that will be my friend, anybody that will be around me. Let me tell you something. My wife was sent to me from God. And there is one lady who could have lived with me for 12 and a half years and not committed murder. And that is my wife. And I think today she is serving. Yes, she's in the kids. Yes, she is. She's not in here. All right, cool. I can talk about her all I want. She's serving in the kids today. It's wonderful. But no, the truth is is that God has ordained marriage. Marriage is a good thing. It doesn't mean that singleness isn't a good thing, but it means that marriage is a good thing. And here God uses marriage to explain the way he expects his church to deal with Jesus. That's number one from last Sunday, and I'm not going to re-preach everything, but marriage in light of the gospel. Marriage in light of the gospel. We must understand within the context of this book, what this is speaking about. Remember that in chapter 4, we are, we are to walk worthy of the vocation where we have been called. This is how we're going to walk. This is how we're going to live. Chapter 5, we are to be imitators of God. We went four weeks about like father, like son, how that's supposed to look. How we're supposed to look like our father, imitate our father. This is part of it. How are we to be a godly husband, a godly Wife. Uh, later on in chapter 5, right before these verses, it talks about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit fullness and how God wants us to be filled with His Spirit and living with His Spirit living through us. And here is a way that we can do that. This in context, at the end, it simply says this, uh, that, that husbands should love your wives as Christ loved the church. But look down um, at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The context here is Paul is trying to explain to the Christians in Ephesus. He's trying to explain to them how the body of Christ, Christians, are supposed to interact with their Savior, Jesus. And the best way to begin with that he can describe this relationship is, hey, you know, it's like a wife. It's like a a husband. It's like a marriage. And so keeping that in context... We need to understand what the Apostle Paul was doing. How can we be walk worthy of our vocation? How can we be imitators of God? How can we be filled with the Spirit? How can we interact with our Savior? 
Okay, let me give you a beautiful picture of that. Marriage. And can I just say this? And I mean this with all my heart. It breaks my heart. And I, I purposefully today came with zero marriage statistics. Because I'm, number one, I don't trust many marriage statistics. And number two, they're depressing. We live in a society today. Uh, we love Southwest Elementary School. Uh, Nick, the principal, everybody here. Man, we have some awesome stuff planned uh, for just a couple months from now. How We're going to honor them and be a part. But I guarantee you, if he were to allow us, if we were able to walk through these halls, uh, maybe hang out here in the cafeteria tomorrow and just say, hey, how many of you, real quick, how many of you live in the same house with your biological father and your biological mother? I think we would not see as many hands as we maybe think we'd see. And if we walk right down the road, went right down the road here a little, uh, maybe to uh, middle school, maybe to Rogers Hurt Middle School, and we would ask the same question to the a little bit older kids, how many of you in here live with your biological, biological father and mother? We would see few hands. And if we went a little bit further away to Jordan High School, and we would ask the same question at lunch tomorrow at Jordan High School, we'd see few hands. And the truth is, today, we live in a culture and a society where marriage fails. And what, what, as a result, has happened? We have many people who just refuse. And what we have across rampant across our society are people that live together and even live together long enough to where they become common law. What is that, seven years? Where they become com- common law uh, couples. We, I know of older people, elderly people that, that, that some of you, none of you know them. They're out of state. But if I were to introduce you to them, you'd never know. They get divorced because it fits better with their finances. They get more financial benefits if they're not married. And so they divorce. I've had people near and dear and close to me that have done that. It's not my parents. Some of y'all know them. It's not them. It's all good. All right. But it's where we are in our society. And at the end of the day, what I want us to understand today is in light of the gospel, within context, marriage represents a covenant relationship that Jesus Christ has with Christians. That's what marriage represents. It is Jesus and it is his people. Now, is there grace to cover a multitude of problems and a multitude of issues in marriages? Yes, there is. Is there grace to cover divorce? Yes, there is. Amen. Some of you in this room are walking, talking, living, breathing proof of that. That God redeems those times in your life and God gives you uh, greater days ahead and God gives you a bright path for your future. And praise God for that. But at the end of the day, let's just take what the Bible says here for what it is as we walk through in context, but now we're going to talk specifics, okay? In context, keeping that in our head, but let's talk specific. We talked last week about a spirit-filled wife, a spirit-filled wife. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. We said last week that God is a God of order. There is a food chain. I just like being a part of it, wherever I'm at. I mean, I'm just hoping, you know, there's Mexican food chains. 
Chinese food chains, I'm all over those food chains. <laughs> Japanese food chains, hit me up. American, not so much. Give me something outside of the U.S., I'm good. But there's an order. Hey, listen, everybody do this real quick. Breathe in, everybody. Breathe out. Okay, there's a design, a divine design. There's an order. The fact that you just breathed in and somehow the oxygen that you took in supplied your bloodstream enough to record to your brain that you had enough breath to take another one. We're, we serve a God of order and design. Hey, the fact that right now I'm, I'm not even consciously telling my feet to move. I'm just doing it. The fact that, that, that it's cold outside, and last week I told you it was going to be warmer when we got done, and I completely lied. It was wrong. I blame Apple. Apple weather. Today it's supposed to be raining when you get out of here. I'm just going to shoot straight with you, okay? But you know what? The fact that we exist and weather keeps us, hey, not cold enough to freeze to death, okay, but not too hot to where we burn up, even though the summer in North Carolina makes me wonder sometimes. I, I ask the Lord, does he really know? The fact that we are rotating right now and gravity's keeping us, I mentioned this, God's a God of order. God's a God of order. And the order in the family, in a biblical family, once again, I'm broad brushing a little bit. We, did, we, we spoke about how we can't, this is not taking care of every single one of your individual marriages or homes. But in generally speaking, God is a God of order, and that is that the wife be subject to or submit to her husband. It does not mean that a wife is less valuable to her, to her husband. It does not mean that women are less valuable than men. Good night. No. Man, the woman is worthy of double honor. Men, if you don't understand that and you don't practice that, then it, it, it's time that we do. But we talked about Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. The first time he showed his supernatural power, the first time he showed off who he was, as God, man, he was in the temple and the religious rulers were coming to him and asking him questions and he was, he was dumbfounding them with his answers. He was asking them questions that they couldn't answer. I mean, he was throwing down some, some truth as a 12-year-old boy and his parents couldn't find him. He was supposed to be with them, but he was in the temple having theological conversations I, I doubt my daughter at 12 years old is going to be like, where is she? Oh, she's at church answering st- theological questions from all the church staff members. Uh, you know, that's, that's not your typical 12-year-old. Nowadays, your typical 12-year-old is like, you know, how quickly can I get home from school, make my parents convinced that I got my homework done, and that I can play Fortnite or whatever. That's what, see, I got some amens. I woke some people up. What, I, I know I woke up one back, yep, got one awake back there. There you go. But this 12-year-old boy, Supposed to be with his parents. Parents come get him. And what, is, what does the Bible say? He went down to them and came to Nazareth and he was subject to them. Jesus submitted to his parents. There's an order. Did that mean that Jesus was less valuable than his earthly mother and father? No. If there was someone to, attri- uh, to attribute value to, it was Jesus. But he was subject to. It's just an order. And in the marriage relationship, husband and wife, there is an order. And that order, typically speaking, is that the wife submit to her husband. But thirdly, we talked about a spirit-filled husband. I'm not going to read this entire portion of Scripture. 
uh, because I'm going to come back to it and hit it. But here's where we were last week, and this is where I'm going to pick up a little bit this week. What does spirit-filled love, husbands love your wives, what does spirit-filled love from a husband look like? Number one, it looks like an unselfish love. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, if we are going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then we must be willing to give of ourselves. Men, we we need to come to grips with the fact that it is no longer about us. It's no longer about me and my wishes and my wants and my desires and what I want. It is now about what she wants. It's about fulfilling the needs of my spouse. In fact, there's a great book entitled His Needs, Her Needs, uh, that I would suggest if if anybody wants to read up more or become a little bit more uh, well-versed maybe in some of these areas. But as a husband, and I will say this, if I I can be honest, in my flesh, I battle selfishness. I do. Uh, Men, I think it's something sometimes ingrained in us (coughs) that I value myself a little bit too much it's something that i have to constantly work on and constantly strive for and constantly try to overcome and that is my selfishness but if we're going to love as a husband like jesus christ loved the church then we must love as a husband with unselfishness giving of ourselves you say what does that mean practically oh it's as simple as when decisions are made for the family it's not about what's best for you. It's about what's best for, for her. And husbands, as the leader of the home, which we'll get to next week, uh, you'll find that then it becomes not just about what's best for her, it becomes what's best for my family. Those that are under me as children. You see, it's no longer about me, it's about we. It's no longer about I, it's about my people, my wife, my daughters. When I was a teenager, I worked at Chick-fil-A, like every Christian teenager did, evidently, back in the day. I I served uh, redeemed and sanctified chicken. I still eat it to this day, extra pickle. Um, But uh, I did, and, and I remember wanting to move up at Chick-fil-A. And I worked there, man. I actually got a job at Chick-fil-A. My parents didn't even know that I put an application for it. That's, teenagers do not do that. It was like, a, it was rough. I mean, it was, that was bad. <clears throat> Terrible decision. But I got, I got hired and for some reason my parents let me work there. But I remember talking to one of my bosses about I wanted to become a team leader at Chick-fil-A. Um, and I remember, he's the man, Tony Fernandez. He's at Chick-fil-A Roxbury Road, best one in Durham. Quick commercial. Um, I remember him sitting me down and going, hey, Josh, let me, let me talk to you about something if you want to move up. Right now, when you just come in to work at Chick-fil-A, you know what you got to worry about? Making sure you set the timer on the fries. Making sure you put the chicken down and you don't burn the chicken. You got to make sure that one person right there that's coming in, that you're taking their order, you got to make sure that their order is right. That's what you got to do right now. And he's like, when you take a, a leadership role, You not only have to worry about, are the fries down for long enough? You have to worry about, is there enough lemonade made? Is the sweet tea made? You have to worry about, hey, tomorrow morning they're going to be having breakfast. Is everything ready for breakfast tomorrow morning? 
You don't have to worry about that one customer right there. You have to worry about every single customer that's in that line. You have to worry about every single cash register. You have to worry about that drive-through. And he said, you know, when you become a leader, when you take that position, that role, it's no longer about you fulfilling your job. It's about you helping everyone else fulfill their jobs. And as a leader, as a, as a husband, and that spoke to me, it, stayed with me the, for the, it will stay with me the rest of my life. It's like, oh, you know, maybe I don't want that. Maybe the extra money is not worth it. Maybe I just want to come in and run my register and go home. But at the end of the day, husbands, we're called to lead. And that means it's not just about making sure I stay where I need to be. It's about making sure she stays where she needs to be. And for me as a father, those two little girls stay where they need to be. It's about nurturing. It's about loving. It's about, it's about developing. It's, it's about being unselfish. But secondly, it's not just an unselfish love this morning. It is a cleansing love. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And this spoke last, this is where we, this is where I looked at the clock last week and realized I needed to shut up. All right, so I got through a little bit of this. Um, and the time ran out. And so this is kind of where we were. But it is a sanctifying, cleansing love. This speaks to the husband's role of leading his family spiritually. And let me say this, that there needs to be men who are what people would call men of God. That doesn't mean that they're a pastor. That doesn't mean that they, that they hold some title it means that they lead spiritually those around them. It means that they cleanse and sanctify. It means that they warn those in their families of Satan's attacks, and Satan does want to attack. It means that as a leader and as a, as a man, they will stand up for what is right. They will stand up for righteousness, and we need a revival of men who stand up for biblical righteousness men who will stand up for righteousness in their families but we can't do that with honesty and ethically we can't do that we can't with integrity do that we can't sanctify those around us until we as men have been washed by the word and we have been sanctified and we ourselves personally have been cleansed because no one wants to follow a leader that's trying to lead them somewhere that they've never been before. I'll repeat that so it sinks in. No one wants to follow a leader to some place that that leader has never been before. And if I, as a husband, am going to lead my wife spiritually, then I better be there myself. If I'm going to cleanse and I'm going to protect and I'm going to keep the, the devil and all that he would have in our society and our culture and the wickedness, wickedness that bombards us on a daily basis, if I'm going to keep that out of my marriage, then I better keep it out of my heart. If I'm going to keep it out of my wife's life, then I need to keep it out of my life. It's a cleansing Love. It's a sanctifying love. And men, as a challenge today, I want to challenge you to become a spiritual leader. Now, that doesn't mean many of us 
have married some very spiritual, godly ladies. And that doesn't mean that we should diminish their spirituality. That doesn't mean that we should hold them back spiritually because I'm supposed to lead spiritually. No, 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 no. I'm gonna get, the next point is going to help with this to support what I'm about to say. But as men, part of leading spiritually is empowering our wives and leading our wives and pushing our wives spiritually forward. And if that means that she has a bigger platform uh, than, than, than you do spiritually, that's fine. If that means that within our church and we've got a couple of these pockets of, uh, of like Bible studies that take place, if that means that your wife leads a little Bible study on the side with women and you don't as a man, that's fine. But men still should spiritually lead their families. So they should spiritually lead their families. And so I want to call to men. I want, to, I want to, uh, to challenge men today to sanctify and cleanse your family with the washing of the water by the word. Men, if you get up before your wives, they should catch you. I use that word lightly, but they should catch you in the mornings in this book you say i don't read in the mornings that's all i can do to get to work okay well then at night before you fall asleep in your favorite recliner acting like you're watching basketball and you fell asleep before you start to drift off and that little awkward chihuahua snore happens where you wake yourself up and everyone else Hey, let me ask you, dads, when's the last time you got, or husbands, when's the last time you got caught in the Bible? When's the last time you got caught in the Bible? We've got a lot of men who get caught with pornography. Uh-oh. We got men who get caught in relationships with ladies at work. I'm not saying we have men. I'm not talking about in this room. I'm just saying in general. But we have men who, who can't, who can't keep other women out of their Facebook direct messages. We're getting down here. I'm about to come sit with y'all. We have all this. Hey, we've got men that can't control their lust. We've got men that can't control their tongues. We've got men that can't control that. But we don't have men that will control themselves spiritually and will that, lead, that, will, that will lead and cleanse and sanctify a family. By the word. Washing of water by the word. Men, it's a call to us today. You, it's so funny because in our kind of chauvinistic uh, culture, church culture sometimes that we create it, it's like, oh yeah, man, we're preaching Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's like, yeah, okay, and I just preached it. But how about like the seven following verses where men are called to be Jesus Christ representative to their wives and to their families? How about that one? How about we park here? How about we talk here? How about we stay here a little bit? Because I firmly believe that there will be a lot more wives submit yourselves to your own husbands if the husband was acting like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I think we got to be straight up honest about that. And we need some husbands who will take this seriously. This is your, your God-given role, but... Thirdly, the third kind of love this morning, it is a nourishing love. It is a nourishing love. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Hey, that plays on our, our selfishness, guys. Can we just pause real quick? 
I think Paul understood that men have a selfish vein and that we have that tendency to be selfish. And so Paul, Paul speaks to that right now. Hey, men, you don't hate yourself. Hey, you love yourself. Be real. Men, you love yourself. In fact, men, we all think we look a little cooler than we really do. We all think we are, we all think, you know, when we take that mirror selfie, you know, we all, we all think we're about 20 pounds lighter than what we really are. We all, we all think we're a little bit better. Hey, listen, just ask, just ask anybody in this room how good a basketball player they were in high school. Man, you would think that we have like all Americans, maybe. Every guy I know, every guy that I know was the best basketball player back in the day. Every guy I know. And I I may or may not be guilty myself. But he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Can I be very honest with you? Marriage can get ugly. Marriage can get difficult. Anybody in this room that says marriage has just been peachy from day one until today. I don't care if you have been married, Tyler and Amanda, for a couple months. Or if you've been married the longest of anybody in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to say that. But we know they're the shortest amount of time. I don't care if you've been married the shortest amount of time to the longest amount of time. Marriage can get difficult. Marriage gets ugly sometimes. Sometimes the person you love the most, you treat the worst. Sometimes in a marriage relationship, the one that you fell in love with, you find yourself falling away from. Marriage requires gentleness, kindness, forgiveness. Marriage requires nourishment. You know what that that word nourishment means? Listen to this. This word nourishment means to supply with what is necessary for life, health, and growth. Can I repeat that? Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives with nourishment. That word nourishment means to supply with what is necessary for life, for health, and for growth. Your job as a husband is to put your wife in a situation where she experiences life, health, growth. You say, I can't do anything about physical health, and you're exactly right. We can't do anything about physical health. We can do a whole lot about spiritual and emotional health. We can do it, we can we can we can play a significant role. We can play a significant role in giving them life-giving opportunities and a life-giving home. We can set them up for growth. That is the spirit in which I as a husband and you as a husband, men, uh, those of you that maybe you're single today, but this is what God will call you to if and when he calls you to marriage. And that is to love with a nourishing love. And that literally means that I'm going to take care of of all the surroundings that I can possibly take care of for my wife. I'm not going to put my wife in danger because I want to nourish her. I want to give her life. 
I'm going to take care of my wife because I want her to be able to grow into the lady, the godly lady that God has created her to be. It is nourishment. By the way, this is the same word we're going to talk about in the next chapter about fathers and their children. We're supposed to bring them up in the nourishment and admonition of the Lord. It's the same word. And by the way, I'm sorry, nine, nine homes out of ten, who does the nourishing? Let's be real. Nine times out of ten, nine homes out of ten, who is the nourishing one? Mom or dad? I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. Who's the nourishing one? Most of the time, it's mom. Hey, dad, looking at me in the mirror. When my girls have that day, and I've got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and I didn't know what that day meant until, like, the last two years. Like, I've never, it's like emotional high, low, I love you, I want to kill you, like, all within, like, 10 seconds of each other. I'm not really sure what's going on. You're not even a teenager yet. Why are you acting this way? You know, and instead of running to mom, you know, dads, we need to, we need to be that. And we're not even talking, when your wife has a bad day, when your wife is going through a struggle, if I can quote my wife, when I just need someone to talk to, and I don't need a pastor right now, I need a husband. I love it. She, I, she's got to tell me that because I'm, I'm an idiot sometimes. I like start giving her theological advice and she's like, shut up. I just need you to listen to talk to me as a husband. Hey, husbands, instead of your wife feeling like she's got to get on the phone and call her mom to talk through her issues, or she's got to call her friend, or God forbid, she's got to vent about it on social media. Speaking of, just kidding. Um, there it was, somebody just vented on social media. Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, can we nourish? Can we nourish enough to where our wife comes home and goes, I've had a bad day and you know who I need to go to? I can't wait to see my husband when I get home. I can't wait to see my husband when I get home because you know what? When I see him, he's going to nourish me. He's going to cherish me. And I'm going to be able to sit down beside him and he's going to put his arm around me and he's going to love me. Because we have been called husbands to nourish. To nourish. Doesn't mean our wives are perfect. Wives, it doesn't mean your husbands are going to be perfect. And we know that. But it means that Paul gave us a, a pattern. And he just used Jesus as the, as the example. You know, just so we could all attain it. Of course not. This only happens through being a spirit-filled, a spirit-led, a spirit-controlled wife. Or a spirit-led, spirit-controlled husband. Tim Keller says this in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And if you've never read that book, um, I, yeah, as I was studying for this, this book just continued to, and I've basically read the entire book just in preparing. Um, 
he makes this statement. We must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I am giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him and betraying him. That's what we were. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. That is why I am going to love my spouse. Speak to your heart like that, and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Ouch. Listen, Jesus looked down on the cross, and he saw people that had rejected him. And he stayed on the cross to reconcile a relationship. And husbands, there's going to be days when it's messy, dirty, sinful. Let's call, it, let's call a spade a spade. There's going to be days where sin gets in and wrecks and ruins. And we must look down, not in a, not in a derogatory way, but we must look at what God has given us. We must stay. We must love. We must care. We must. I want to give us two, a couple of takeaways, and we're done. Two lessons for the church. Two lessons for the church. Number one, God has an order, and it does not include me at the top. Okay, God has an order, and contrary to what I often think, I am not the number one person in the story. Okay? God has an order, and who is at the top? He is at the top. And we live not for our glory, but for His glory. And God has an order, and I am supposed to be subject to, in submission to, my Savior. He has an order, and He is at the top. And I am not. That's why I don't read my Bible, and the first thing I do, I don't say, where do I find myself right here in this story? I do that, some in application. But the first thing we do in the Bible is to go, where's Jesus in this story? Where's Jesus? Hey, where is God the Father? Where is God's glory in this story? Because it's about Him. Second lesson for the church, it goes right in cadence with that. My job is to be the faithful and submissive bride to the ever-faithful bridegroom. Hey, Christian, you've got one thing to do. Submit and be faithful to your Savior. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you know, I know there's theological things that we need to learn from Scripture. I understand there's, some, there's many elements of worship that we can learn as we go along. And we'll never exhaust those. Those will be all, always learning. But at the end of the day, our job as Christians is to submit to an ever-faithful Savior. Period. That's the lessons from the church. Hey, listen, we're not supreme. We don't reign supreme. We are to be subject to him as he is an ever-faithful groom. Two lessons for marriages and we're done. Number one lesson, the covenant of marriage is extremely significant. 
when Paul was looking for a way to describe Christians and their Savior, the first illustration he gave was marriage. Was marriage. A husband and a wife. When you say those vows, you take those vows, when you, when you commit yourself wholly to the other, that is a holy, supernatural, God-sized, gospel-driven, massive significance decision. It is bigger than what you thought it was on your wedding day. It is extremely significant. And let me say this. Marriages that, marriages that end began to end long before they ended. Okay? Can I say that? I think that's true. Marriages that end began to end long before. And can I just say to you, please, f- please, I beg you, before marriage gets to end, and it's beginning to end, will you get, get godly help? Listen, I'm 36 years old. I've been married for 12 and a half years. I'm not an expert in marriage. I promise you what you will not find with my wife and I are, is a pastor and his wife who thinks they're a marriage counselor. There's far too many pastors across this country who think they're marriage counselors. And go home and pray about it. It isn't always the answer. Read your Bible for 10 minutes more. God's going to work it out. No, I promise you what we will be. We will be people who will love to listen, cry with you, pray with you, set up some, some sort of accountability system with you. And as your pastor, I will help find you a certified, professional, Christian, godly Counselor, I will help you do that. They, they exist all over across the triangle. I promise you we can find it. But please, this is a covenant relationship that represents Jesus Christ and his church, Christians. And we must fight to keep that covenant. We must fight to keep that. The second lesson for marriages is this. This biblical system of love and respect Husbands love, wives submit and respect. Husbands love, wives submit and respect. This works when both parties are committed to fulfilling their God-given roles. Listen, the biblical formula works. And it's crazy that in churches in 2019, we have to say that. But the biblical formula The biblical teaching on marriage works. The biblical format for marriage, it works. What the Bible has to say works. And it may not fit culturally relevant, but we don't care. And it may not be what your unsaved co-workers think is best for you, but we don't care. Because when we will do what the Bible commands us to do, and husbands, we will love our wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, we will, 
you will, not we will, you will lovingly submit to your husband in loving submission, here's what happens. Here's what happens. The husband loves his wife so much that he wants what's best for her. And the wife loves her husband so much that she respects him and wants what's best for him. And they spend the rest of their lives trying to do what's best for one another. And you know what you call that? A happy marriage. You know what you call that? A 50-year wedding anniversary. You know what you call that? Till death do us part. You know what you call that? In sickness and in health. In poverty, thank goodness, as in wealth. That's what you call it. That's what you call it. When we both, husbands and wives, when we both commit to fulfilling our roles. We're moving on next Sunday. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. I'm actually going to have the children in next Sunday, which will be fine. We'll, have it, we'll call it a family Sunday. It's all good. Um, some of y'all, you know, you're gonna, uh, we better have a good crowd here next Sunday, parents. We're going to see how well you can get your kids to church, right? Uh, but um, next Sunday we're going to be there. But let us not, let us not deny the strong language, the strong symbolism that Paul uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul uses here for a husband and a wife relationship. At the end of the day, that relationship is based upon the broader context And the broader context is the gospel. The broader context is that Jesus Christ loved his church, his people, and gave himself for her at the end of the day. And I want to ask you this, are you a part of that? Are you not a part of this church? Are you a part of God's people? Are you a child of God? You say, well, I mean, uh, sure, I mean, I grew up in church, of course I am. Now, has there ever been a time, as Nicodemus said, Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what, can I enter in my mother's womb again and be born? And no, he was obviously speaking of a spiritual birth. Has there been that time where you have been born again? And what that looks like is a time of acknowledgement of your sin, a time of acknowledgement that no, you don't have it all together and no, no matter how uh, hard you work and how good you are and how much your goods outweigh your bads, you still aren't good enough. If you've ever come to that realization and realize that there is only one way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus. Jesus. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, the life. If there's never been a time where you have fully surrendered and given your heart and life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to make that available to you today. Husbands, wives, today at the end I want to make available for you maybe a time where you grab your significant other by the hand and spend some time in prayer together and commit to biblical love and respect. Uh, Commit once again to one another. Maybe if you're in here and you're single, and we have several in here that are single this morning, maybe you just need to take some extra time today or maybe later on this week and say, listen, if God has marriage in my future, then I want to know and make sure that I am prepared to fulfill my God-given role. That would be an amazing, amazing step.
This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.